Previously on Solve the World. You said... Tears rolled down Naima's cheeks. You said the center never kills. Did you lie to me? No. The timbre of Marshall's voice rang true. He believed his own words. This wasn't the person to direct Naima's rage at. He was still one of the good guys. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. I guess the only thing left to do is hang yourself. Episode 58, Who is Smuggling? The voice was different. Miles had asked Jen to remember what his words had sounded like. She had remembered. There was something different now. His voice in this video didn't quite match that previous voice that once upon a time said, Jennifer Dash, I love you. At the precipice of the pit in Newgrange. This was enough reason for Jen to shrug off Miles' plea, his weird tone. Something was not right about it. Whatever the case may be, whoever Miles was working for, be it by choice or by force, he could take care of himself. He'd found Jen once before, he could find her again. She never wrote down the number. Jen never called him. She had called Atticus once, and that didn't work out so well. So, she wasn't calling Miles now. It wasn't overtly apparent to Jen, but she had grown a strong aversion to telephone calls. A strong aversion indeed. Jenner had plugged the airwaves with Miles Faw just a few hours before Jen strolled into the town that would exalt her as queen and mayor. Jenner happened to be preoccupied the evening Jen became mayor, so he and his small crew of technocrats missed the social media bombardment of Jennifer Dash selfies in rural South Texas. He missed it, but obviously, other powers that be, namely the powers behind the four black Humvees, didn't miss a beat. They organized, drew up a game plan, traveled all night and all morning, and then with remarkable precision executed their plan faithfully at half past nine in the morning in the center of First Baptist Sanctuary. They of course couldn't be sure, but after sorting through the wreckage and debris, the assumption was, from their elite task force, that Jennifer Dash was blown to bits. No post-mortem identification was necessary. This assumption proved to be a stroke of luck, as it meant that the Margaret family, mother, father, somewhat estranged daughter, and one living piece of contraband, could sneak out of the town by station wagon harmlessly and amazingly stealthily just after sunset. Their mission was not difficult. The town on the horizon was not far off. 
It was the eve of Smugly's arrival at New Braunfels. This was exciting. Smugly, one of the preeminent post-apocalyptic authorities in all the world, would transfer Jennifer to the whereabouts of a one Mr. Atticus Further. The lovely boy would then be thoroughly convinced to leave Smugly behind and seek out his young sister, Scout, with Jen in tow, obviously. With their powers combined, Jen and Atticus would save Scout. Maybe Jen would even call upon Miles then. It never hurt to have a savant of his caliber in the brain trust. They'd find Anmo, free Scout, and... Well, who knows what happens after that. No point in wishing for anything more. Getting that far was a big enough prayer for now. Every bump hurt Jen a little along the voyage to New Braunfels. Worse than merely locked in the trunk, Jen was smushed into the spare tire compartment of the SUV. The Margarets had devised that if they were to pass any local patrols, having a girl in the trunk was not safe enough. Every copper worth his dollar would at least give a casual scan of the family's trunk. Big, long, metered breaths was the secret to staying calm in that tight space. Jen focused all her thought energy on every single breath. That night, the Margarets couldn't find a single hotel with any vacancies in town. Everyone was booked up. Smugly had come to Texas. Thousands wanted to know what was up with the masked fox. What was his secret? Why had he come? The Margarets, with a smushed-up Jen, found a parking lot to huddle down in for the long night. Okay, wait. Here's the thing. We can talk about the process of sneaking Jen to Smugly, how the Margarets got her past the crowd. We can talk about the argument the parents had with their adult child, Marianne, when she informed them she was going with Jen. Not because she believed in Smugly and his vast, fast network, but because she was resilient and stubborn about being Mayor Dash's bodyguard until Jen was safe and sound within the strong arms of Smugly's people. Even then, Marianne pondered aloud, it might be necessary to stick around, make sure no one takes advantage of the teenage celebrity. We can talk about all this, but it slows us down. There's so much to cover. Fawz indentured servitude to Mark Janner, the constable's dramatic onmo reforms, as well as the scintillating conversation Marshall Winston had with Adela, the public speaker from Mama Beck and the venerable number two in command at the Druidry Center. Mmm, okay. Actually, in fact, that conversation's kind of important. We should probably flip over there. Yeah. We're still playing catch-up, you see? Alright, so, yeah. As you recall, Marshall took the longest elevator of his life back up to the ground level after experiencing the strangest and scariest moment of his life down in the deepest and darkest depths of the earth. Marshall's life, much like Jennifer Dash's, had quickly gone from a generally slow pace to, in just the last few weeks, uncontrollably fast. There was little time at all to intake and process an experience before another, more transformative experience knocked him on his butt. His bottom was swollen red from all these kickbacks. First, there was the mysterious Naime, who entered into his life like a freight train, pulling way more materials with her than can be perceived at first sight. Then, Miles fought, and the near-death experience at the precipice of the pit. Quickly thereafter, a jolting lesson in quantum physics, which brought with it the killing of Sir Isaac by his own hands. Then, Marshall was pulled into another dimension, a dimension that tested his fortitude and direction in life. After that, as a trade-off for information, Marshall Winston surrendered his ring finger. 
the prize, the dreadful consequence of his lost finger, was an encounter with something that completely defied Marshall's worldview. He could be a skeptic no longer. Adela was waiting for Marshall. The elevator exited out of a tree. Intriguing. You didn't have to use the ropes to descend the pit. There was an elevator hidden in a hollowed-out tree all along. Fascinating. Adela chaperoned Marshall to a cabin. He saw to some of Marshall's more visible burns, applying copious ointments where necessary. Finally, he spoke. I'll answer one question for you concerning what you saw. Only one. This was not something you needed to know about, so we preferred to keep you in the dark. Sometimes reality is harder to live with than presumption, isn't it, my dear Marshall? I don't know what you mean. (coughs) It's easier not knowing. But now I do. Quite right. Do you have a question for me? Or shall we move on to more pertinent conversations? I'd prefer to talk to (coughs) Faderbeck. May I see him? Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. You disappeared without a trace. You didn't bother to even send us a postcard. How were we supposed to respond? Then, in the middle of the night, I hear that you broke into your own home, Marshall. Your own home. Only to spy on us? Really now, Marshall, we have good reason to just be done with you. Sacrifice you on the morrow. You're not going to do that. And I don't approve of your tone. If you were going to do something like that, you'd not talk to me. I'd be busy being prepared. I'd never see your face again unless it was accompanied by a long knife, sharpened explicitly from my skin. I know you. (laughs) These are not nice words you use, Marshal. The outside world's really done a number on you. Tell me, what really happened at Mecca? I... (coughs) I followed Naima there. Just call her Jen, won't you? She was never really one of us. I followed Jen there. (laughs) It hurts to talk. May I have some water? An assistant to Adela, who had been apparently waiting behind the door of the cabin, swooped in and handed Marshall a mug. The tea will help. I, I don't want hot. Sip. Slowly. It's fine. Tell me what happened. Sir Isaac, the scientist, his plan was to kill, to kill Jen. I stopped him, ended up slashing his throat. He died, and then I and Jen were pulled through. Pulled where? I was uh, in a room. Where was Jen? I don't know, I, I didn't see her there. You were in a room, like this one? Adela casually motioned to the wooden cabin walls. No, it was white. Marble. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, marble. Were you alone? Yeah. Yeah, yes. No. I... I'm not sure. 
Marshal. What does that mean? There was a message for me. What message? The, the room, the marble, it was... It was too bright. It hurt my eyes. <laughs> my eyes. <coughs> drink, Marshal, drink. Though quite warm, the tea was soothing. I... I flicked the light switch. How did you know it was there? I don't know. Instinct, I guess. Then what happened? The assistant lady, Marshall now noticed, sat in a chair behind him, taking notes of everything he said. The room turned black. The lights went out. No, not, not really. It was as if the marble walls turned black from the inside. Where did you see this message? It was smeared on the walls in big letters. Like paint, but emitting its own light. What did it say? Can't remember. Marshall lied. Marshall Winston. What did the message say? I can't remember. Hmm. Why won't you tell me? I just... I just can't remember. It was like a dream. I can't remember the message, just the feeling it gave me. Oh, you remember, all right. You remember, Marshall. You remember. You remember. You remember. You remember. You remember. 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 You remember. Stop! Saying that. Please. Good. You're angry. You don't trust us anymore. Good. How is that good? Lies bring people in, Marshal. A lie says, I hold something else more dear than you. That makes me curious. I wanted to know why you cared more for this, whatever it is, than for us. For the druidry. For our work. Now I know. What do you know? What do you think you know? That tone, Marshal, that tone. You used to believe in us because you knew we were stretching people, making them become larger than they believed they could become. You have always been intuitive. You're not particularly bright, but you cover it with a strong instinct. It serves you well. You look at the world, look at all the tools that man has, and you wonder. You wonder why the earth isn't a better place. You wonder why people who are so gifted the world over always, always, always throw away their gifts. You come here. We show you that there's more to the universe than there appears to be. Immediately, you sense that we're liars. This is your so-so intellect at work. But despite what your noggin is telling you, the good Marshal Winston endures. 
Why does he do this? Because his intuition is onto something. Even though the druidry is just a house of lies, it's working. It's making people bigger. It's stretching people. The druidry, even though you think it's built on falsehood, is making the world a more complex, interesting place. This is all well and good. You stay with us. We give you a cubby corner, a place to fit in, where you don't have to hide your skepticism. No, you can boast in it. Stop with the lecture. But I haven't gotten to the good part. Go ahead, hold on to your secret message written on the walls. If you need that to feel good about yourself, to hold a little bitty part of yourself back, then go right ahead. You're still one of us, despite your best efforts. Yes, I'm tempting fate, maybe even becoming Judas Iscariot. That's the cost, though, of searching for the truth. Your dim-witted intellect convinces you of that much. But now you've seen it. I'm glad, really. I'm glad, really. Now you've seen the depths seen something that your intellect can't explain away. Oh, the Druidry Center just uses advanced propaganda and medico-techno-hypnotism to create vast illusions for their people. Go on, give your tattoo a good scratch. Let us cool you down. Marshall squirmed in his seat. He didn't like this murder-by-numbers rundown on his life. Adela was chewing it up and spitting it at him. I never did understand, though how you were able to explain away the minotaurs, the pukas. How did you do that? You never let those truths sink in. I'm glad you came tonight. I'm glad you had the experience you just had. It didn't have to cost a finger, but what's done is done. You came, you saw, now you can conquer. What do you mean, conquer? Now you don't have one foot in, one foot out. Your dubious brain doesn't have to do cartwheels to try to explain everything away. Now you've seen. Now you know. There are no illusions. The universe is a deep place. Thick, some would say. The pipe... He's been working hard. You've always known this. But you thought he was just a man. Now, you know what we're up against. He's behind the bombings? You know the answer. And the plague? That too, yes. So, it's over. Oh, it's been over a hundred times before. But we always crawl back. He can never finish the job. What do we do? In time, we'll fight back. But right now, we're still on defense. The Americans, they have an undisclosed center, a security blanket for for children. Anmo. Yes, good. You've read the papers. Anmo, Operation No More Orphans. The Piper is taking that name seriously. He wants to destroy 
the center. He's doing it from the inside out. The piper just overthrew the foreman, got his guy to be resident director. This new guy's already working on starving the children, Marshall. Starving them out. Making them murderers, thieves towards each other. Poisoning the culture. Unless we do something, Anmo will be a ghost town in six months. Why are you telling me this? We're sending you there. You'll replace one of the workers. You want me to kill the foreman? No, do that, and Piper will replace him with just another stooge. His plan is solid, corrupting the apple from within. So, what do we do? (laughs) We aren't going to do anything. You are going to lead a revolt. Give the children eyes to see that the Emperor has no clothes. Instigate an uprising, Marshal. Lead a revolt. (sighs) How will that help? Government of the people. By the people. For the people shall not perish from the earth. Marshall smiled, catching the reference. This was good. This was something he could do. He had come back to see if once and for all he had been playing for the good guys, or if he himself had become a villain. This mission, to help save children from death, this was good. Children deserve to live. Good guys don't kill children. They saved them, so Marshall was on the good side all along. Do I still get my one question? Ask, and you shall find an answer, Adelakud. There was some sort of chemical down there. What, What was it? A cocktail. Mainly isofluorane mixed with nitrous oxide. An anesthetic. Adela nodded his head. An anesthetic. The 700 or so people sitting on fold-out chairs in a big, big room in New Braunfels are all mumbling to each other as they wait for the reveal they've been waiting for. Marianne sits next to Jen. They're in the middle of the 13th row. Jen's wearing a crudely designed, smugly fox mask that a little boy was selling outside of a convenience store. This veil apparently hid her identity well enough. No one suspected anything. A man, dressed in a white shirt and ripped up blue jeans, walks hurriedly to the microphone on a small stage. There are security guards flanking him with their hands outstretched in the remain-seated motion. One of them even has his finger to his mouth in the remain quiet declaration. Besides the white shirt and jeans and a janky-looking gold watch, the microphone speaker has no other distinguishing characteristics. He's wearing the mask. The sly as a fox smugly mask. This is Smugly, the silent one from the television. He's here in person, in Texas. Smugly has come to Texas. 
Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Someone hit the lights, please. Those are Smugly's first words. Someone hit the lights, please. Can you believe it? The room goes dark and a slide projector lights up the wall behind Smugly. There's a picture of a skyline. This is Christ Church, New Zealand. Next slide. A church building. A pretty one. Next slide. People. Lots of people. Smugly lives at Christ Church. Next slide. People praying. You can too. Next slide. A picture of Smugly with the words, Who am I? Scrawled on top of the mask. The spectacle is over, people. If you come with us, you're not going to wear this. The man rips off his fox mask. He's a good-looking guy, probably 25 years old. Young, but he doesn't look naive. Not in the least. Smugly is just something we use to capture your attention. Smugly is a character. He's a fox. He's a fox because what we are is just a bunch of people trying to be as sly as possible. As sly as a fox. Next slide. A stop sign. The plague and the bombs have ended our delusions. Next slide. A businessman strutting down the street with a cell phone in his hand. All the wealth and gadgets we used to have and abuse, these were the distractions. Another slide of a church. Christchurch, New Zealand, is the first city in the world that is a true theocracy. If you come, you'll follow our rules. Or, you can leave. A picture of a fox in nature. Smugly is the mascot, if you will, of our church. Picture of a man with his fingers on his nose making a P.U. face. I know what you're thinking. Church? Religion? It's just a way for people to become greedy, to become powerful. Picture of a priest, a rabbi, a monk, all sharing a good laugh. That's what it's been. But at our church, it's different. Picture of a man breaking free of his chains. We are the first religion of epistemology and experience. Or, free church for short. And we welcome you. Picture of a bus. Next slide, please. The de-smuggled MC said... Picture of a plane. If you're willing to join us, today you'll sign some papers and then we'll fly you out to Christchurch. It doesn't cost you anything to join. Actually, we won't accept your money. We accept no sponsorships, no endorsements. We don't need you to come. We're just asking so that at least you know. Picture of a needle. If you choose us, once you pass through these doors to my left, your right, we'll take a quick measure of your blood. It won't take more than 45 seconds. Just a dab of blood tells us whether you're a carrier of LP or not. We haven't yet found anyone the world over that's a carrier and not infected, but we take no chances at Free Church. Rest assured, everyone who comes to our city at the southern edge of the world will be disease-free. You're safe in that regard with us. A note here, LP are the initials of the already colloquialism for the disease that is ravaging the world. LP stands for Lonely Plague. The next slide just says, what do you believe? The free church is first and foremostly about being okay with not knowing. Secondly, it's about discovery. Thirdly, it's about reason. Fourthly, it's about experience. Fifthly, it's about discipline. That can sometimes be a hard pill to swallow. Once you find truth, discipline follows. The next slide was a question mark. So, are you in? 
If yes, follow Tom over here to my left. He'll send you through these doors. We have some papers we need you to sign before we put you on the bus. Also, of course, the blood test. If no, that's fine. That's okay. Good for you. Just walk out to my right the way you came in. The lights went up. The D-smuggly hopped down from the stage. People rose and started mumbling to each other. What sort of pitch was that? Jen had her own reasons for wanting to join this free church, but if she was just a normal person, how on earth could she make such a huge decision as to leave the continent, leave home, just for... for what? He didn't even try to convince anyone. Not hardly. Jen remained seated, her cheapo fox mask securely fastened. People around her were filing out. Many more than she would have suspected were seemingly taking the red pill, choosing to go through the doors that led to New Zealand. What? What do you think? Jen said to Marianne. Permission to speak freely? Marianne, you don't have to talk to me that way. I know, it's, I just, I like to. Okay, sure. Permission to speak freely. I think it was a lot of baloney. I know, right? So can we leave? Uh, you can, Jen said understandingly. I have my own reasons for needing to go. I'm with you, but just so you know, if it's just about getting out of the country, I, I, I mean, my family can help you get out. I heard about this place, Nicaragua. A man was pointing at Jen. You. Please come with me. It was Smugly, or it was the de-Smugly'd man, armed with two security guards on either side of him. I don't go anywhere without Marianne, Jen stated with authority. That's fine. Come. Jen got up, offered to shake the blonde, wavy-haired man's hand, but he turned away, clearly on a mission. Jen shot a look to Marianne. What's this all about? They followed five or so paces behind, past the red pill line that now formed and swiveled like a snake nearly out the door. Were that many people really convinced by the presentation? The next room was filled with tables. People were filing in and being directed to fill out thick, veritable books of paperwork. You can sign yours while we're in the air, the MC man shouted back at Jen over his shoulder. It's fine if your friend comes. Through the building, behind it, a black limousine. Behind the limousine, a black Humvee. Marianne grabbed Jen's arm, her eyes wide as a full moon. This gave cause to pause. Um... Marianne sputtered, but the man was already inside the limo. One of the security guards patted Jen on the shoulder. It's okay. It's just for show. Seeing the limo, that gets people excited. Marianne, what's wrong? Jen said politely. Yesterday, the the people, I saw one of them leave. In a car, just... Just... Just like that one. Marianne pointed at the black Humvee, as if it was one of many to choose out of a lineup. The unsmugly man popped his head out of the limo. Come on, we gotta get going. He clearly didn't hear Marianne's hesitation, but he followed Marianne and Jen's line of sight noticed the car behind him. Ah, I heard something about that on the news. Black Humvees fleeing the scene of the crime yesterday? Don't worry, we're not with them. That was good enough for Jen. She crouched down and hopped into the limo. It was a nice thought to travel not in the trunk of a limousine, or the spare tire space, for that matter. Marianne, on the other hand, was not so eager. Marianne, I have to go. You can stay if you're not okay with this. Summing up all her courage, Marianne entered the vehicle. She felt so dumb not having a weapon on her person. Jen was eager to talk to the handsome debonair, but the feeling wasn't mutual. He sat back, took out a cigarette, and stared out the window. It occurred to Jen that maybe she and Marianne were chosen at random. 
Maybe Smugly always chose one random citizen to ride cockpit with him. That seemed like an unlikely coincidence, so she pulled off her mask, let him see what prize he'd summoned. But the response was not what she had hoped for. The guy glanced at her, nodded, and put out his sig. He grabbed a hot towel from a side dispenser, laid his head back, and plopped the cloth over his eyes. Jen looked to the four big security guards also seated in the back section with them. None of them looked excited to speak up. They rode to the airport in silence. There's more details here, but none of them are important. Only hear this. Jen, Marianne, and the whole smuggly crew got in a large commercial plane. A 747, I would think. Though no one said it, it seemed self-evident to Jen that they were headed on a one-way ticket to New Zealand. No one spoke to her. She and Marianne talked some, but Marianne was weird today. Not the confident bodyguard she was yesterday. Now, she seemed like a little girl trying to convince some admiral to let her become a Navy SEAL. All their conversations were stilted, unoriginal, formal. A couple hours in, Jen was going to get answers. The plane itself was a posh place, with sofas, large flat-screen TVs, an open bar, the works. Jen moseyed to the rear, where she found the smuggly fella snuggled up on a couch, a blanket over his face and body. Hey... Are you sleeping or just ignoring me? She poked him in the back. Hey, answer me. Do I have a choice? I just... Why won't anyone talk to me? Talk to your friend. We're not really friends. In a tizzy, the man tossed off his blanket. He met Jen's gaze and sneered. Fine. You want to know why I don't want to make goody good and play patty cake? He grabbed a remote from an end table. A TV mounted to the wall just behind Jen flicked on. The image on the screen. A bus on the side of the road. On fire. A newscaster's voice. This marks the second day in a row a small Texan town has been victim of a terrorist attack. This one, we're getting reports now, was a bus filled with people who were lured by a smuggling convention in New Braunfels. The bus was headed in the direction of the nearest operating airport. The explosion yesterday was clearly an attempt to assassinate the newly resurfaced internet sensation Jennifer Free Dash also known as Jennifer Collin. We have no information as of yet as to whether or not Miss Dash was on the bus. I'll say that again. We don't know if Miss Dash was on this bus, but the nearness of this attack to yesterday's, which without a doubt was an attempt to assassinate Jennifer Dash, paints a clear picture. You're one lucky girl, the man snipped before grabbing his blanket and slamming his body back down onto the couch. Jen instinctively scratched the small of her back to cure her immediate anxiety, her panic. There was no tattoo to scratch. Thanks for listening to today's show. My name is Dante Stack. I am the creator and narrator, most of the time, of Solve the World. If you're unaware, every sound effect and musical piece used in Solve the World has full attribution on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. Speaking of DanteStack.com, only about 10% of you so far have taken the survey 
I could use some more help on that front. Go to DanteStack.com. Right at the very top of your screen, there should be a bar that says take our survey. Click it. Just answer a few questions. It's helping me understand you guys better and communicate to potential advertisers who's actually listening to the show. So it's really helpful on all fronts. Please, please go there. While you're there, tip jar. Tip jar. Tip jar.